Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, listeners. This is Wendy. I just wanted to give a little warning that there is some bad language in this episode. We do drop the C-bomb. We're quoting, of course, from the All or Nothing show. And uh, the reason I wanted to give a warning is that it's not a word that we typically use in the podcast. We do we do swear. We, um, we swear freely. We mark our episodes as explicit. We've done all the right things in that respect. But I felt bad because we got an email, a really lovely email from a listener um, who just highlighted that his son was listening to the show. His son was a bit younger and um yeah it came out of nowhere so apologies for uh the use of the c-bomb and a warning that we do use it again in this episode react in a positive way we need positivity for this second half positivity believe 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 Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Wendy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a bit of a handful, Nathan Lee Clark. Hello, Nathan. I'm fewer handfuls than I used to be. Well done, you. Yeah, you, you, you do like to crowbar a, a, a reference to your incredible weight loss in, don't you, Nathan? Basically every single opportunity you're going to provide me with there. It'd be working out this week, mate. <laughs> did, did I mention that? Just done a few deadlifts, you know. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jim Hero, Nathan A. Clark. Yeah. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> um, if you haven't watched episode five of Amazon's All or Nothing series about Spurs, we suggest you do so now, as we are going to spoil all of that episode here. If you've got no intention of watching it, it's fine. Listen to us talk you through it. And if you have listened to it, then great. We're going to hopefully be um, a useful supplementary piece of commentary on the episode. So this one is called New Blood. The blurb is the January transfer window is in full swing as top clubs battle it out to sign new players. It's Jose Mourinho's first chance to put his mark on the squad, a task all the more pressing as the club looks to resolve the futures of two of the squad's most senior players, Danny Rose and Christian Eriksen. Deadline day, day approaches, sorry, deadline day approaches, so too does a vital game against reigning champions. And we think the time period covered by this episode is between the 14th of January, where there's a board meeting, we're not quite sure when the press conference is from, and the 2nd of February, which is Man City at home. So it starts off with another overhead shot of Hotspur Way and some audio from Sky Sports News. Of course, it's transfer deadline stuff. Of course, it's going to be Sky Sports News. Um, and then we see Jose Mourinho going into the press conference, being asked about how many strikers he's been offered. Um, we have Daniel Levy saying when you're at a certain level, the market for better quality players is like a pyramid, which I think is a, a really astute point and um, one that I kind of we probably all appreciate, but it's, it doesn't hurt to have it reinforced. And he says that he gets frustrated if at the end of a transfer window, the team isn't in a better place than when it started. So that is all the pre-intro stuff. Anything um, resonate from there, Nathan? <laughs> well, only that my reaction to the line about the team not being better is that that has often been the case in the last mm. few windows uh, amused me. 
I, I do accept that, um, you know, the market is like a pyramid, but I also think that is the first of a handful of <laughs> essentially excuses that are in yeah. this episode. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're, we're, we're starting off, you know, on the right foot in, in that front. And the, but also the line, how many strikers you've been offered is, is a weird one, but whatever. <laughs> so we go into the board meeting on the 14th of January. Basically, we know that injuries are going to force Spurs into the transfer market, which is um, never ideal. Um, we have a striker on the list. We have a midfielder on the list. And Levy says, Josie wants a particular style of striker. Very, very limited. Uh, my thoughts immediately were, tall or nothing? <laughs> no? No one? No, it's no quite one? A good, that's a quite, a good little, quite a good thing to say. I, I thought it was pretty good. It made me chuckle when I saw it in the notes. <laughs> Thanks, Bardi. Danning yeah. me with faint praise. Um, <laughs> Nathan, what did you think about this point about Jose having very sort of specific instructions around the style of striker? Yeah, no, good, good. I want that kind of that back and forth interaction between the manager and Steve Pitchin, who we see a lot of on this episode, um, which is interesting given recent news. Um, yeah, you you want that communication. You want to go to or yeah, you want to go to the manager and say. Um, what type of forward you want, and then and then you work backwards from the list from there. So yeah, at least there's that going on. It's not as we sometimes like maybe suspected with with Pochettino or whatever, where it's like here are the players I have assigned you. Good luck. There's 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 some stuff going on there. Mm, yeah, I agree. I agree. However, um, following on from the comments I made at the end of the last episode, where I was a bit sort of um, critical of the lack of cold hard analysis, the kind of thing I want to hear here is Jose has given me a list of specific um, criteria that we need to fulfill. So I've got the recruitment team on the case and they're pulling up, you know, detailed scouting reports on these players. And that's the bit that's lacking. And I'm just sort of desperate to sort of re I, I want some reassurance that, that stuff's all happening behind the scenes. I mean, I'm sure it is, but um, <laughs> I, I want that reassurance. What do you think, Barney? Yeah, I completely agree. It would have been nice. They didn't have to say the player, but if they would, if they were talking about William Jose that they were linked with a player just talking about the qualities that they bring and whether or not it can happen rather than just sitting around and chewing the fat saying yeah, yeah there's we need we need a striker and midfielder we know and this, this whole I'll probably say it again it's just like it's not a surprise you know none of this is a surprise this club should be prepared for worst case scenarios and should have files and dossiers and all kinds of crap on on possible players so it should be just a we're in emergency. Let's go to the list of who we who we know who is available, and then when we start firing shots at Hitchin, I'll probably get into it a little bit more. Oh God! Spoiler for what you're going to do later in the episode. <laughs> spoiling, <laughs> we're spoiling a spoiler show. But Buddy's getting his gun ready. Loaded, <laughs> he's getting it loaded. The bullets are lined up on his desk in front of him. Um, so we see Ben Davis. We see Harry Kane. We see Christian Eriksen. They're watching Sky Sports News, and Ben Davis says, "Why can't?" Why can't teams be settled? Whatever happens to letting players develop, which I really kind of appreciated. I thought it was a really interesting comment, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, he talks about the the 200 million, which flashes up on the screen, spent in 2011. And what would that be worth now? 
And the comment is, before Neymar's transfer changed the game. Which, again, I, I thought was a very sort of astute point that was being made there. Bardi, what did you think of this? Yeah, as we continued, these these are the bits that I really like. Yeah. And I was really, really impressed and surprised by Davies. is a very astute guy. He's, I know he's a footballer who just whacks a ball around for a living. But he he's actually passing commentary on, on football. And Ericsson as well. I mean, I, I really like this. I really like this whole chat between the three of them. I, I thought it was up there in one of my kind of top 10 moments, perhaps, of the of the show so far. Well, what I didn't mention was um, Ericsson's... Uh, very dry comments around 200 million. He said, that's Harry's right foot. And and Kane responds, not now with the hammy mates. Um, Nathan, what did you think of this section? Firstly, uh, Ben Davies is absolutely right. Uh, if, there, you, if you have a situation in which a club don't need any players, would benefit from bringing three <laughs> youth players, etc., etc., um, both the fans and the media would not let that situation lie. That is not a situation that is respected because it mm-hmm. doesn't, you know... It's not an interesting story for print or a good conversation down the pub. Also, uh, that is not a situation that is close to applicable for Spurs. Yeah, I thought that. (laughs) He's literally sat next to Christian Eriksen, who is trying (laughs) to get out of the club. And then also the club will have to deal with the fact that they've lost Christian Eriksen, which is a sort of a narrative that they work probably more than they should, actually, I think, later on in this episode. Um, but I, I just thought it was funny. Like, yeah, he's absolutely right, but it's kind of funny that he would be making that situation now. Okay, so so I thought you were going to come up that from a different angle and say our team has been settled for, like, 18 months well, at this yeah. point. We've signed pretty much no one. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought perhaps, you know, David Davis comes across as really articulate and smart in, in this episode, to be fair, and I, I've got time for Davis after mm. seeing All or Nothing. Um, but maybe I, I thought maybe it's a point that's been rammed home by Pochettino, perhaps in yeah. the um, in the months preceding this, where he said, you know, we don't need new players. We're going to let the players develop. And, and Davis sort of parroting something he's heard. I don't know. Maybe that's uh, maybe I'm not giving Davis enough credit. To be incredibly harsh, allowing the squad to be settled is what has led to the situation in which Ben yeah. Davies has played 30 games over the last <laughs> season. <laughs> he, he, is, he is basically talking about himself. He's like, I'm not... I'll, He's still he's okay, but he's like I'm not a very good footballer. But I've been allowed to develop into a pretty all right one. So he's he's defending himself a little bit there. But as Wendy says, he he does come across well, and I mm. I've grown to I've grown to like him over this. He's he's a young man who speaks very well. Yeah, definitely. I I sort of see Davis's um a potential future coach or or pundit or something in the game mm. because he he speaks very sensibly on, on football. Um, so we're then introduced to Steve Hitchin. Um, in the reception of Hotspur Way being offered an espresso and saying how much he hates the January transfer window. Um, Nathan, first impressions of Steve Hitchin. This is an absurd scene all round. Everything about this scene is incredibly strange to me. Firstly, Steve Hitchin appears to be sort of a guest at Hotspur Way, which is strange. He's in the reception. He's uh, okay. Secondly, there's this sort of interview methods by which they're using the coffee lady at reception as a means of extracting information from Steve Hitchin rather than him speaking directly to the camera. But yeah. she's not specifically that actually that interested. She's just being polite and doing that, oh really? Rather than pressing them on any specific information and then he's being reluctant to give things up. It's a really strange bit of television. I don't know if that rings for either of you to eat. It's what bizarre. What they should have got her to say is, so what criteria of yeah. uh, striker is Jose yeah. Mourinho looking for, Steve? 
I, I found the whole thing a little bit cringeworthy. The way he was sat there and the way he ordered an espresso like that is just like, it's a bit of a strange place to order an espresso. I was trying to figure out whether he has sugar in it either as well. And he's like, You were judging him. I'm judging him. And I was going to say this, is, this episode starts my um, Harry Kane plate watch. So we've already had one touch on Harry Kane, what he's eating, because I'm always concerned about Kane when he's not, when he's not running. And we'll come back to that. But he's just, um, he's sat there just drinking an espresso with his legs crossed, holding his phone, talking about January being, he hates January. It's literally your job. Your job is to deal with the January transfer window. And if you don't like it, get a, get a different job. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'll defend him there. He's, he's saying like no. January is so much worse than the summer because it's 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 reactive rather than, than a prepared thing. I get, I, I'm with him for that. He's like, you can only sign players in January, which is technically correct. Yes, you can only <laughs> sign a player in January, but you can do the groundwork. You can do yes. everything else. So when January arrives, you go, now we sign it. Kind of like what it did with uh, Jetson. Done. First week of January, it's over. Um, we've seen Chelsea sign players when they have a transfer ban. Just because you can't actually get a player to sign a contract, you can virtually sign a player. And his whole attitude just is one. It reminds me a little bit of um, of what's that? What well, I forgot the salesman now in the office, um, Finchy. Finchy who's like the most important person, <laughs> the most important person at the place. He comes in. Oh, I'm you know, doing all of this. You're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. So just. Go out, do a better job, recruit some players, and yeah, tell Levy these are the players we need. God sake. This is definitely yeah. the most The Office scene of the, the show so yeah. far, isn't it? I, I, and, I, uh, <laughs> Oliver Skip has the, um, you know, the cleaner in The Office who just sometimes stands there and looks at the camera. Oliver Skip is constantly, as, as the camera moves on, just stood there. I'm doing the impression now on a podcast, it doesn't work, but he just stood there as the camera passes his face. Just staring like, what's going on? <laughs> like a Victorian schoolboy. <laughs> I feel quite reticent about continuing this sort of Steve Hitchin pylon right now, but um, <laughs> but fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> I I had never seen Steve Hitchin before. I didn't know what he looked like. And so when we see this first shot of him sat down there, I'm thinking, oh God, here we go, he's a bloody agent. Um, and he looks like a bit of a geezer, he talks like a bit of a geezer. And I'm thinking, here we bloody go. What's, what's this agent going to say? Who's he trying to sign? Who's he trying to flog us? Anyway, that's our that's our new um, director of <laughs> football operations or something. I don't know. Um, to, to be fair, he does say something fairly useful. He says, I work on the metrics that Josie gives us about what a Josie player is for each position, working on the parameters of finance that the club gives gives to us. So he's he he gives a kind of um, good overall picture of the way that recruitment at a football club works. You know, the manager has his specific attributes that he wants to fulfil in the signing and the club has specific financial parameters to work within. Fine. Um, he then goes on to say that we can now attract players far better than we could five years ago. And I'm a bit like, yeah, I mean, sure, we can, but... Um, but let's also scout. Let's scout a bit more widely. Let's use some data. Let's uh, let's drill down. Let's find some unknown gems where we don't need to attract, you know, big name players. What did you think, Nathan? Five years ago, our biggest signing over a summer was Southampton's defensive midfielder, and this summer, our biggest signing over a summer <laughs> has been Southampton's defensive midfielder. Um, I, have we moved that far? In I guess we've been in the Champions League the last few years uh, whatever I, that's just a small point it's thought. the stadium though isn't it it's the stadium that's, that's and, and, and the increased revenue that brings and therefore the the wages we can offer i guess 
Or is but, this propaganda? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, as, as Napier says, we were probably signing better players five years ago than we than we are now, perhaps. But yeah, <laughs> uh, we we then are introduced to Jedson, a highly rated Portuguese <laughs> midfielder. Yeah, this, this that literally made me laugh. I paused the show to laugh at that. So uh, with a, with a fifty million euros option to buy, another laugh there. So I wasn't sure if that was. I thought that was just rumored, but that is now fully confirmed, which is. Mm. Um, an incredible, incredible amount of money for a not especially highly rated Portuguese something. Midfielder, come right back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hitchin says, and this was interesting, that they've known they had to, have had to rebuild the team for a while. He, he's kind of, he's obviously, um, I don't know, is he being Captain Hindsight? What do you think, Bardi? Oh, yeah, totally. He's, he's, he's on a lifeboat and the Titanic is sunk and he goes, yeah, we, we, we knew there'd be a problem if it whacked into a bit of ice. He's, I, they, nothing about him came across as, as nice and, or someone that, yeah, he's, he's actually earning his money. He's earning his keep at Tottenham. There's a bit of uh, Christian Eriksen interaction. Uh, he says that he wants to try something new and he says the money is what controls if you go or not. And I, I've enjoyed... Every bit I've seen with Ericsson on screen, I, I found him very interesting because he's so different to some of the other players. Uh, we then see the coach shots of us travelling to our game against Watford on the 18th of January. And the voiceover says we haven't scored in three of our last five Premier League matches. Watford get a penalty in that game early on. Gazaniga saves it. We see Jetson coming on for his debut and he's involved in the move in which uh, Lamella nearly forces the ball over the line. But it stays just a tiny bit on the line and the match finishes nil-nil and there's a post-match press conference where Mourinho bigs up the organisation commitment and intensity. Mourinho is then asked about Rose, uh, whether he's still a part of his plans. He says that he is still part of his plans. There's then a section of um, Rose in the dressing room, we think it's from Liverpool game, where uh, he criticises what the team's doing in terms of just Toby Alderweireld rolling the ball back to Gazaniga who launches it forward and he's getting frustrated and um, Rose is being quite reflective in this section, saying that he has a tendency to say some things in anger. He says, I can be a bit of a handful, hence my introduction of uh, Nathan's this episode. And Mourinho says, the biggest challenge is what I call the impossible one to make everyone happy. And this comment preempts the next section, which is, I think, going to become one of the big talking points from the whole All or Nothing series. So what happens is this. Danny Rose comes in early to speak to Jose Mourinho. He is. He interrupts the conversation Mourinho's having in a different office. Mourinho leads him into his office, sits down with him, and um, Rose said basically says, what's the problem? And Rose articulates himself fairly well at the start. He says, you know, I was really excited when you came in as manager, but if you don't want to play me, I'd rather you just tell me now and I'll stay at home, which is slightly kind of confrontational, but... Um, that kind of that's how the conversation starts and Mourinho says let me try to be as open with you as I can I think you deserve that he explains that Rose was fantastic in training leading up to the Liverpool game and there that's why he played him in that match but that he didn't play well and Rose agrees that he didn't play well in that game Uh, Mourinho says that Tanganga then came in and played well and didn't make mistakes and Rose you know he sort of says yeah sure you know I didn't play well against Liverpool but it's difficult when you only play every four weeks and other people have been shit in training and shit in games, but they seem to play every game and they're in a squad every game. And Mourinho tells him that that's his perspective. Rose replies, well, no, the whole change room know that. It's facts. And 
the way it's edited, it looks then as though Rose just kind of essentially gets up and starts walking towards the door and says, right, I'm going to go and talk to, to Daniel. If you see Daniel Levy, tell him I'm looking for him. And Mourinho says, open your heart, whatever you want, as they walk out the door. So I mentioned the editing. It's really difficult to know if the conversation is just what we saw there. We don't know if it's any longer. Um, I suspect it was just what we saw, but I, I can't say that for certain. Um, but Bardi, what did you think of this section? I mean, there's a few things about this that right from the start, um, getting in there early, being quite confrontational, wanting to speak to him. And then as um, as he's led into the office, you could see Mourinho's a bit unsure about where, where to sit and Rose decided not to sit but uh, in front of the desk to actually remove the barrier of the desk between them and properly go like tete-a-tete, you know, two chairs facing each other, removing the barrier between them to really try and impose himself upon Mourinho. And I th- I think you could see what Danny was doing, but unfortunately for Danny, he's, he's not coming at this from a p- position of power. Whereas before in the past, whenever he's been outspoken or said something bad about Googling players or the or the performance of the team. He's always come from being a, a regular starter, an England international and a key part of the team. And at the moment he's he's going at Jose uh, Jose Mourinho the whole way ro- the whole way round the, the wrong way round because he's got no power in this conversation. Mourinho's not playing him. He doesn't deserve to be played. And it kind of plays out that way that um Mourinho's like, go and speak to Levy. It's not going to help you. Open your heart. Tell him whatever you want. The decision, the die has already been cast for Rose, and he doesn't realise that. And it's it's sad because I've always been a huge fan of his, but he he once again is failing to pick them, understand the mood and the situation that he's facing. And it, we all we've seen throughout is Levy and Mourinho in very close contact, and I think the next scene jumps to that, and he's fighting a losing battle here, trying to call uh, Mourinho's bluff by going to speak to Daddy. What did you think, Nathan? How did you take this scene? Well, firstly, I will be adopting the phrase "open your heart, whatever you want" as a uh, <laughs> response to basically whatever anyone says at any time. Um, people are really, really upset about the way Rose comes across in this scene. People feel betrayed by Danny Rose. Uh, people react to this kind of not entirely dissimilar to they did when he did an interview with the Sun. Um, I don't think it's half as bad as that. Um, I sympathise with his frustration with sort of being played once every four weeks. I also think, but, you know, Danny, you're just, you're literally not that good anymore. Like you're, and there's no acknowledgement from either of them that he is clearly like a uh, a dwindling athleticism as a player. Um, and that's consistent throughout the episode. Um, but I guess mainly I was really pleased here from a viewer perspective to sort of see something more real to see to see some confrontation and some back and forth and some some character um uh, including sort of his criticism of the tactical approach which is something that again we we've seen a hundred clips of let's press them high let's press you've got to press early be intense when that's not necessarily always true of the games and then this is the first time that essentially anyone in the entire show has acknowledged the number of times that we've been playing direct. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Rose is kind of being Danny Rose here in the way that he is very confrontational, um, quite short-sighted in a lot of ways. Um, but I just, I liked sort of, I kind of liked seeing it. I liked seeing it in a direct, you know, face-to-face kind of way. We, we've we seen things like this from Rose before where it's come out in the press. Um but I really liked seeing the back and forth between the manager and the player because that's that's unique in the show essentially so far. I found this absolutely fascinating um, 
from a whole different range of perspectives. I mean, I was watching it thinking, how would I handle the situation if I was Mourinho? You know, I'm a, I'm a manager. I've had people come into my office unhappy before at work, and it's it's not easy to manage those conversations. And I thought there were things that Mourinho could have done better. And equally, I thought Rose gave him uh, a really difficult situation to deal with um, here. Um, my impression is that there's a lot more baggage with Danny Rose leading up to this situation than the the situation than what we see on screen implies, because he goes from naught to a hundred so quickly. And and I know Danny Rose is um, an, quite an impetuous yeah. person. That's his character, and he you know he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's honest. He's he says what is in his head. But he allows himself to get very, very riled up very quickly. What starts to be quite a sort of well-articulated opening. You know, I was really excited um, when you came here. But, and then he kind of just launches into this <laughs> this attack. And I'm just thinking, Danny, this isn't this isn't the way of doing it. It's um, There would have been a better way to approach this, um, where you sort of try and see it from the other perspective. But then equally, Mourinho just seems so passive in dealing with this I, I, what I want to see him say here is Danny wait listen 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 Cut, look you're, you're, you're really hot-headed now look this isn't the time to have this conversation you're, you're upset go and think about this situation and come and see me when you're a bit calmer and we can have a proper conversation about where your future lies because I want to help you out here if you want to leave Spurs I can help you and you need me on side to do that and it felt like like Bardi said, he didn't get the response he wanted from from Mummy, so he's going to see Daddy. That kind of thing. It, it felt like he was trying to almost play leaving Mourinho off against each other. And it, ultimately, this isn't helping. This conversation is not helping anyone. No one's getting what they want from this conversation, and it's frustrating to watch that happen and, and play out. Um, Nathan, in the first episodes, Mourinho said to the players, "If you're not in my plans, I'll make that perfectly clear to you." And I think that yes. Rose is not in Mourinho's plans, and he's not making that clear. Um, which is slightly frustrating. I I do also think that like uh, it looks like Rose is doing the well. I'm going to go talk to Daniel thing, um, as in a, like I'm going to go tell on you. I'm going to go get your boss involved. Whereas what I think is doing there is saying, well, okay, as I'm not in your plans, I will talk to the chairman about moving on to another club, which is not as bad. Of course the way that like Rose does it is 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 not in that style and not, you know, mm-hmm. professional. Um but I don't think that's quite as bad as that seems. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um he's that's that's it. He's decided, okay, I'm done. I'm done. There's I'm not winning this guy back over. I'm done. He, he, the thing is he doesn't give it enough to, he doesn't give it enough of a chance. And I do agree completely with what you said about you know Mourinho saying if if you're not for me you'll know about it kind of thing and then Suddenly, he's not doing that. He's not being as direct as he said he would be. However, I appreciate that he is in a really difficult position here because he wants Rose at the club. He just doesn't want him to be first choice. Yeah. He wants him to be there to help through this horrendous Christmas schedule and beyond, but he doesn't want Danny Rose to be first choice. And Danny Rose says in the show that he thinks he's still good enough to be Tottenham's best left back. So Mourinho has got it hard, but... There's got to be a way of articulating it better, and and surely when you come into a, a a club, you you try and identify the players that potentially could be problems. And Rose says, "I'm a bit of a handful." You know, it's not it's it's a fairly kind of badly kept secret that Rose is uh-huh. at least challenging <laughs> to deal with. You know, he's he sees things differently to most players. He's very outspoken. So Mourinho should have been getting Rose on side, and he clearly hasn't. And um, as you say, it leads to this confrontation, which is. Very real, very interesting to watch, um, and ultimately quite frustrating and, and quite sad. I, I don't think either of them comes out of it particularly well, I would say, 
But I also agree with Nathan that, you know, the, the Rose's behaviour here isn't kind of, you know, it's not great, but it's also not like going to speak to the sun levels. This is different. Mm. And I, I think if people are having a go at Rose here, it's um, it's a build-up of frustration rather than this isolated incident. Yeah, I think this is probably a, a conversation that happens quite a lot at every single football club. And you're right, it, it has been... In in a, in a show which is so well kind of manicured and put together, and we we do lack any kind of um, confrontation. This is the confrontation, and even that, it's not it's not the big kind of um, guns at dawn kind of thing. It's um, it's a small confrontation which has been blown up into something bigger. One one final comment from me was uh, it really amused me when um, Rose says during this sort of conversation, "You're the gaffer." you make the decisions kind of thing. And Mourinho has a little little smirk as he says that. And he's basically thinking, (laughs) yes, yes, I am. And yes, I will. (laughs) Uh, So so we hear from Rose then afterwards, as I mentioned, he said he still believes he's the club's best left back. It's a slap in the face to watch a centre-back, a right-footed centre-back playing his position, which I, again, I I completely appreciate that that would be the case. Um, And Mourinho should perhaps have explained that decision to Rose in advance. Um, but Tagaga did play really well when asked to play left back. So, uh, so we then see Hitchin again, and he says our edge is their togetherness. Once that's broken, it's very difficult to repair. Which again is a really sort of interesting comment on um, on how the higher ups at Spurs see the the team bonding generally, and how that can add some value to to what they're trying to achieve. Uh, we see Daniel Levy discussing the Danny Rose situation with Mourinho. He says. He's only had offers from Bournemouth and Newcastle. At this point in the conversation, he says that Newcastle, he thinks Newcastle won't buy any players over 26. Interesting. Um, Then we see a goalkeeper's meeting. Uh, And so we're we're seeing the review of the Watford game where Gazaniga saved a penalty. The feedback he gets from that is great save. Uh, Really? The goalkeeper coach, we could do a lot of things, but in the end, it's up to the goalkeeper to make the decision. So so there wasn't a chart of of where Dini likes to put the penalty it was in the end just left up to Gazaniga to dive to his right it wasn't it wasn't pre-planned or anything absolutely the, the, like the, the the director's missed a trick here there's either something to show or there's not and just mm. saying great save with the goalkeepers <laughs> watching the TV is ultimately like a pretty pointless scene yeah uh, but I guess the, the introduction is that it's the introduction to the fact that there are a group of goalkeepers at Spurs not just one goalkeeper that's the that's the point they're trying to get across um, we see Lloris having a meeting with the specialist and he's been declared fit. The coach then talks through the difficult situation he's got to deal with with Gazaniga and Lloris. You know, the fact that Lloris, who is one of the best goalkeepers in the world, is going to be coming back into the team when Gazaniga has been doing OK, except <laughs> that horrific penalty that he gave away. Um, you know, he had saved a penalty in the last game, so it's, it's quite difficult to just immediately bring back your first choice keeper. But that's fairly well handled. Then we see Mourinho being asked in a meeting with the media about Christian Eriksen, about the stories linking him with the move away, and he essentially at this point doesn't give any information away. I think um, these press conference bits, like the football matches, there's, there's just not you're not really getting anything from these. It would be nice if they picked up some of the conversation that wasn't mm. directed at the press. Something perhaps talking between the comms guy, I can't remember his name, and and Mourinho. 
But Mourinho just kind of dealing with these press conferences. We've seen these press conferences. We've seen these quotes. There's nothing, for us anyway, as Spurs fans and people who analyse everything to do with Tottenham, there wasn't much, there's not much in these scenes for me. I agree. I agree. And I think the only reason that so many of these scenes are in is simply to show the sort of routine of mm. match, press conference, press conference, match, press conference, and how often they have to face the media and how challenging that is to constantly have to, you know, have a party line to toe. Nathan? They also, yeah, utilise camera work tricks so that it looks like the press are like this, like, hell-bound, vicious group of hounds, like, sweating and yeah. <laughs> cornering Mourinho and, yeah. like, rushing a hundred questions at him fast, which is, like, it's 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 obviously well-crafted, but it's quite funny how intense they make, you know, a regular press conference that's just some people talking. Yeah, it's, it's it's just a post Middlesbrough FA Cup replay press conference. It's not the it's not the NBC grilling Trump or anything. It's just, <laughs> it's just that. Well, I think the, the thing is they don't differentiate between the press conference and then the media briefing. So they have these mm, briefings yeah. for the for the for the broadcast journalists and the print journalists, and you know the the behaviour of the groups is different according to what's happening at the time, and they don't really make that clear in the show. So when they're sort of all huddled around really closely, like Nathan says, it looks really awkward because they haven't explained that. Um, so that is a, a bit strange. Uh, we then find out that Spurs have received an offer from Inter for Christian Eriksen. And we get this quite interesting meeting between Eriksen and Levy and Mourinho, where Eriksen explains that he thinks it's a good opportunity to go to Inter and he'd like an update on what's happening with the offer. Um, Levy is very candid, I think, in this section. He says it's difficult in January to replace him. He says that he's willing to offer Ericsson financially what he's been offered elsewhere, which is, you know, it's nice to see that the club were willing to do that. And Ericsson sort of makes it clear that, no, it's not about the money. I'm I'm just after a new challenge type thing. And um, Levy says, well, we just want a fair fee for the circumstances that we're in. Um, and 20 million euros is, is not unreasonable for the quality of play they'll be getting at this stage. And uh, Mourinho makes the point that Ericsson's been a good pro, although he does imply that he's not been going at 100% because he doesn't want to get injured. Um, Nathan, did you have any thoughts on this section? I mean, that final point is one that Mourinho has made before, away yeah. from Ericsson, and now he's made it directly to his face. Which is a little brave, I guess, but fair, uh, completely reasonable. I, I found this whole, um, this meeting, I found myself in Ericsson's shoes, and I found it really, really uncomfortable, because you're there with your boss and your boss's boss. And you're saying, I, you know, and you're asking for something you want, and then you're getting this sort of business talk back to you, and and, and not completely just like absolute bullshit, as you as you say, there is some cadness in there. Um, but you you can see Ericsson being put into a situation where he's a little, he's having to be a bit defensive, and he's maybe even being unnecessarily defensive. Really saying, well, that's not my fault that you want that much money, and they're not offering that much money, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I've really felt the tension in this meeting, which again is sort of actually interesting to see uh, as someone who's looking for some insight to like what things look like around the club on a, on a daily basis. It was interesting, but but a little uncomfortable. I do find it funny that there's a bit where Levy is like, let's say, for example, a sum, you know, like let's say twenty, let's say million, let's say euros, and then that is the exact <laughs> sum that, that Spurs accept later down the line. Yeah, I, th- I think Nathan nailed it. It's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, Levy's been quite smart here. He's cut out the agents. He's cut out Inter. He's cut out everything, and just 
found out that Ericsson wants to leave, he's definitely going and just told him, look, 20 million, go back to your people, tell Inter 20 million pounds and it's done. And that way it kind of, um, it puts the pressure on Ericsson's agents to, to get it done rather than Spurs haggling anymore because Spurs have drawn their line in the sand. I've been through the situation recently, you, you're buying a house, you go to the estate agent and the estate agent basically tells you what you need to do to get the house and that's, that's the way they've done it. I mean, I wondered if, I'm sure the producers... Um, wouldn't admit to this, but I wondered if this was set up because we have heard previously that Spurs were having problems communicating with Ericsson because everything is through his agent, that they couldn't, they sort of didn't know what was happening with his situation. And and maybe things have just generally moved on so much that we're at a point now where they do talk to Ericsson more openly about things. But it did seem a bit odd to me that, you know, in one episode they're saying we just can't get a read on Ericsson because everything goes through his agent. And then suddenly you've got him in an office with Levy and Mourinho talking all very openly, candidly, calmly, matter-of-factly about the situation. I I found that surprising. I did think, um, I agree with Nathan that this is not an easy conversation for for Christian Ericsson. And I was just thinking to myself... You know, he's only 27 as well. He's he's a, young, a relatively young guy having to deal with very, two very experienced men here who've been through this situation many, many times. Ericsson's only been at a couple of clubs. This is probably all quite new to him. And he handled himself really well, I thought. I, I just thought, you know, he's a very reasonable person who's seeing it from the club's perspective as well as his own. He's clearly very intelligent. I, and I thought this was a... Whether it's... um slightly fabricated or not I thought it was a really interesting scene and it was useful to have this uh, snippet of information about you know how Ericsson's move came to be so we move on from that and Lloris is back in the matchday squad he gives quite an uplifting team talk in the huddle he says let's do the job aggressive from the start 1995 minutes it's in the mind very different to Harry Kane's uh, (laughs) f-bombs for want of a better phrase um, what do we think of Ericsson's style of team talk, Nathan? Her- Harry obviously got you off your seat. Did uh, did Larice do the same? Did I say Ericsson? Then? Uh, you I meant did. <laughs> uh, there's something about shouting in a French accent that is um, strange. You know, it's, it doesn't <laughs> quite fit. Have you seen the video of Larice screaming at his national team teammates? Um, no. In full French. Oh my god. Uh, we've got a. We've got to provide the link. It's an old, old, old clip before he joined Spurs, I think. Or it might, it might be Leon rather than the French national team. But it's like it's a half time or whatever, and he is the camera is like outside the changing room, and you can hear him screaming, and he like he gets like way up into high pitch register, and he and it's um it just reminded me of that. It wasn't obviously in the same region of that at all, um, but it reminded me of the. Uh, interesting and perhaps amusing uh, audio of Larice screaming in French. There's definitely something going on with um, a bit of narrative around Larice's return, and, and that becomes clear in just a moment. So we we score a goal through Delhi. Um, Ericsson is sent on. Norwich win a penalty, which Timmy Puki scores, and Ericsson is then involved in the Son winner. Uh, and the voiceover is Hugo leads the team to their first league win in five matches. So I, I guess what they're trying to show is the, the stark difference in nature between Larice's team talks and Kane's possibly and how much we've missed this kind of experienced leader in Larice. And as soon as he comes back, he makes all the difference. Um, we then see Mourinho say in the press conference that it hurts to leave Gazaniga out. 
but that he's such a good member of the family that he shared our happiness to have Hugo back, which I thought came across really well, actually. That's, it is not an easy, um, not an easy scenario for Mourinho to, to manage. And I think he kind of did that as well as he could have done. And Gazaniga just seems like, um, yeah, great sound guy. He kind of appreciates the situation he's in. He's, he knows he's nowhere near as good as, as Lloris and just kind of cracked on with it. Came in, did his job. Straight back out of the team, not an issue, no bother, no arguments, no awkwardness. Very supportive of, of Larice, and that's great. Uh, we see Danny Rose then approaching Daniel Levy in the canteen area. He's asking for an update on his transfer situation, and Levy again is very candid. He says that Bournemouth can't afford his salary, that Newcastle are monitoring the situation, and Rose prompts him about Milan, and he, he sort of says, "What's is there any news on Milan's interest? And um, Levy says that it's dependent on them selling someone to PS... I think he said PSV. I wasn't sure if it was mm. PSV or PSG. I think it's PSV. V. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. I, I'd not cottoned onto that previously. But obviously there, there was a link there with, with Rose at some point. Uh, we have Steve Hitchin and Daniel Levy both on the phone trying to sign a player that's been chased by a number of elite clubs. Um, and Steve Hitchin's been doing some background work on him to check out his home life. And he said, personality-wise, he's exactly what this squad needs. And Levy ends with, we need to know that we've done a deal. Basically, I don't want to hear all this stuff. I don't want to know any background checks until we know we've got the fee agreed, I think is what he's getting at there. Um, what did you make of this, Barty and Nathan? I mean, I think if I was Levy, I'd start eating in my office because he's constantly being hijacked when he's trying to <laughs> he's trying to have his food. But it, the, that scene started with, with with Kane in his leg brace, it looked like, eating. And it looked like Kane was smashing salmon and avocado. And I think it's twice in this episode he's been eating salmon and avocado, which are really high calories. And if you're not running... It's a problem. <laughs> and I think perhaps this is where Kane's issues come when he's injured. He, his diet doesn't change. He's still getting all those good fats in him and not burning them. <laughs> and also in this scene, I think it, um, there's just a big box of donuts as well. And it's some, I want an episode in the canteen. I want to find out what's going on in this place because I, I, think, it's, I think they're out of control. Um, but anyway, going back to the, the original point... Um, uh, well, which was I can't remember now because I got obsessed with the donuts. But yeah, I, I, Levy just I would like I want if I'm eating my lunch or my breakfast, I want to be I want to eat in peace. I don't want Danny Rose coming over to me and asking me about Milan like that's going to happen. Danny, just sign for Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quiet. <laughs> that I, uh, yeah, that there was funny where where he's like not not at the moment, Danny, not <laughs> not right this second. Ah, uh, you know AC Milan. Interested yeah. in signing you? That was amazing. I we we sort of dug into Hitchin a little earlier, and I do think he came off really well in this scene because the way the way I'm reading yeah. this scene is that he knows that Bergvine is a really really special player. He's really excited by the potential yeah. that he's available on the market, and he's trying to like he's pushing Levy. He's giving it the hard sell. I feel like personality wise he's exactly what the squad needs is like the end of a long list of he's yeah. this, he's that. He's blah, 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 blah. We'd be really good for this. He really fits, et cetera, et cetera. And he's, he's really trying to um, push through the, the Bergvine deal, which for me is a, you know, I think a lot of Bergvine. I think it's a really great transfer that we did manage to get over the line. Um, so Hitchin comes off well in terms of pushing for this transfer. Definitely, I agree. There's a big, big, big tick for Hitchin here. I liked um, what he was doing. The only query I have 
is that it's interesting that he sort of focuses on what a good personality Bergvine is and exactly what they need in the squad. Because, I mean, from everything we see, Bergvine seems like a sort of very quiet family man, which seems to be the exact opposite of what Mourinho has been implying we need um, in, in some of the episodes leading up to this point where he's saying he wants them to be cunts. Well, I think he wants them to be cunts on the on the pitch, but he's he wants a he wants players who are part of a family, who are positive, who work hard. But then on the pitch for those ninety minutes, I think he, he I think he even uses the time frame when he's on the pitch. He wants them to be bad bastards. But I think off the pitch, he's very happy to have good good solid people like Tanganga, like Toby, stuff like that. Um, but surely they need to sort of have a I don't know. I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be too prescriptive about Bergwijn because I don't know what he's like, but. He does seem very quiet and quite timid and quite shy. Um, I don't know. It's just that it just sort of um, caught it caught in my mind. It's something that just made me think about you know what type of personality they're actually looking for. What do you think, Nathan? I mean, the fact that it seems untrue is why Hitchin comes off so well to me here because he, to mm. me he's lying to Levy to manipulate him because he ah. knows it's a good transfer regardless of personality <laughs> fit. Again, it's, right. the, it's the end of a long list of positive attributes. It's he's good at this, he's good at this, he's a good fit for this, he fills this gap we have here. Personality-wise, mm. he's exactly what the squad needs and all of this right, kind of stuff. Right, right, right. He's, just, he's just really pushing for a transfer because he knows he's a great young player. And you can be, you can be a bad bastard as a footballer without kicking in the doors of taxis and stuff like that you sure. can you can be uh, lethal and focused at Ronaldo for example like these kind of guys that on the pitch they are evil but off the pitch they're I don't know if Ronaldo Ronaldo is pretty evil off the pitch as well but allegedly well, well, in, in our own club Lamella and Dyer, two yeah. players who are absolutely bad bastards on the pitch and both just seem absolutely lovely off it and mm-hmm. sort of committed family family men I, I do think you can associate Bergwijn with positivity, belief, positivity yes. and belief. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, so Mourinho is also very excited by the prospect of, of signing Bergwijn. I mean, that, that, it's quite interesting because he said publicly that he wasn't someone that he wanted to sign, that he was a, a signing given to him by, by the club. But he does seem genuinely quite excited by the prospect in, in this scene. Uh, we then find out that Ericsson has moved. He's got his transfer. and. We have Kane saying Christian was an amazing player and we got on very well. There's no blame here from Kane and Eriksson. Uh, and I don't want to linger too much on this because it makes me worried for Kane's future. So let's quickly pass over that section. Uh, Levy has also secured, we find out, a £2 million loan fee for Danny Rose, who is keen to play in the Euros in the summers. So he just wants to be playing. So, you know, Rose has moved. That's the end of that big drama. Uh, then we have... Mourinho in the media briefing saying that they got an important transfer fee for Christian Eriksen. And then we see Stevie B arrive with his family, um, all get out of the car. Hitchin describes him as the perfect scenario. Young, can improve, he's won titles, he's got a good family behind him. And here he is arriving for the medical. The doctor's talking to him about playing against Man City in his first game. And he's very sort of quite quiet and shy, but he says, you know, normally I play, play in this situation on the PlayStation. So he's kind of, you know, Make, having a bit of patter with the, the doctors there in very good English. And off he goes in the car and they're talking about fixing him up with an apartment um, where he's... The idea is that his parents will live very close by to him. So they end up in the situation where he has one apartment and the parents have the one either below or above or next door or whatever. And he seems happy as Larry and his family seem 
absolutely delightful one. It seems like a very nice, close family unit. What do you think of this, Nathan? Uh, I think the doctor came off really well in this scene in that mm. he's not just there as a medical professional. He's also like playing an ambassador role for the club. Yes. In that mm. sort of stuff. I've also long, long been intrigued as to how physically intensive a medical is. And now I finally have an answer very. to that question. Yeah. Very intensive. That was really interesting to see because I... I, I <laughs> I'm curious about how that fits. Like, if you have a, like a player sign one day, do a medical that day, play the next. How how much of a toll the medical might have been, or versus how much effort you can put into the first training session, etc. I thought that was really interesting. His parents come across really well. They they they, they seem quite young as well. Mm, He's like young, so. obviously. Um, and the the stuff with the sort of next apartments next door to each other is really interesting. Yeah, and for the, sure. yeah. The club helping him settle. Here's where you can live. Everything else. I mean, the apartment looked really nice, as you would expect. It's it's, it's good as well to see the the club helping players settle in, which you know we, we don't we don't find people move. He's moved from one country obviously to another country, and he's got nothing tying him to to London. To I guess it looks like Enfield or Essex. He's he's living, and it's nice that the club are trying to help him and his family settle. Yeah, definitely. I th- I thought everyone sort of generally came off well in this section, Bergwijn, his family, and the, the staff at Spurs um, mm. was really good. Um, we see Mourinho then pre-Man City. Uh, he says in the tactics room, don't lose the ball doing shit. We lose <laughs> the ball trying to be offensive. We lose the ball because we are not perfect. We don't lose the ball doing blind things, fucking flicks, fucking tricks. And he <laughs> asked the team to be organised, to take risks, but have organisation when we have the ball. Nathan, thoughts? This is interesting because this is essentially tactical instruction disguised as more of the mentality, yes, um, psychological aspect. He's saying, "I want you to take, I want you to be low risk or medium to low risk in possession. I want you to classic s- Mourinho, yeah, 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 which is yeah, in tie with with you know <laughs> reality, um, but it, but yeah, it's it's tied up in this. This is who we are. This is how we are. This is how you behave. This is our attitude, rather mm. than um, well, you know, we're going to be playing a low block encounter, so we're not going to have a huge amount of the ball. And we do have. We only want to take our risks in the final third. It's just, just interesting. And then mm-hmm. um, in the next bit, so I'm going to jump ahead. Sorry, but he he talks to Bergwijn about pressing the side of the ball. They talk about yes, City always play with one winger. He says so. They always. Build on one side, draw the opposition over to one side, and then switch the ball out to their opposite side winger, is what he's essentially saying there. So we press the side of the ball. I think that's really interesting. I think he's saying we are, we curve our pressing runs to make them lateral so as we make it difficult for them to switch the play. I'm reading a lot into half a sentence essentially there. And this is what I was talking about before in the previous episode where it's like, we get these brief snippets where there's something really interesting being said, but we don't get the full thing. We don't get the context. It cuts away to something else. And I find that frustrating, but I think there's just enough there in that, you know, two quick throwaway sentences where you can just about get an idea of what he's saying. And there clearly is these, you know, complex, tactical, really well thought out things going on at the club that we're only seeing a little bit of glimpses of. I thought it's really interesting about how you approach pressing a side who like to switch the play like that. Yeah, I mean, you, you have read a lot into it, but that is exactly the way I saw it as well. And the other point, I suppose, that um, our starting position would be more central. And therefore, when you are pressing the wide play, of course, you're moving from 
in to out to do so. Yeah. And so naturally, you will be pressing the side of the ball and, and and therefore, as you say, stopping the the quick switches of play that we know Man City like to like to attempt. It was really interesting and great for Mourinho to sort of be giving Bergwijn those very specific instructions um, almost immediately after joining and immediately before throwing him in. And Bergwijn, as we know, had a really strong game against City. Um, that was useful in the defensive phase, so it, it clearly worked. Um, we're also very fortunate that he speaks such good English, Bergwijn, because it makes this whole section a lot easier. Uh, so we see the teams arriving for the match. We see team talks from Mourinho and then Lloris. And then we see the game itself, the VAR penalty for Aurier's tackle on Aguero, which Hugo saves and then nearly gives up another penalty. But fortunately, it's not. And that's all really kind of interesting to see from the touchline. And the halftime team talk comes from Mourinho. He says, we're giving them a good fight. He explains that City have tried to put pressure on the officials to give the second penalty. And that's the difference between a team of cunts and a team of good guys. And he says, teams of good guys, they never win. So fucking hell, be a cunt. And he tells them that Walker, Zinchenko and Sterling have yellow cards. So be a cunt. Don't be a good guy. And now, how do we score a goal? Which was a, which was quite an amusing ending to his, <laughs> uh, his little speech there. Nathan, what did you think of this section? So we talked quite a bit about the being a cunt thing before and the way that we don't feel on this podcast that that is a fair sort of narrative about the way the team had played prior to the arrival of Jose Mourinho and someone I've forgotten who sorry but someone on Twitter made a really good point in reply to us talking about maybe it's not so much you know being a cunt to the opposition as it is to each other I think Mm -hmm. that was persuasive to me at the time because it's like um, there's obviously been a, a huge amount of positivity belief positivity no uh, uh togetherness around the club over the last sort of five six years and that's great when things are going well but maybe not so useful when things aren't going well maybe you need to be more critical of each other but i think what we're seeing here is it's like it's not so much like playing rough being violent being aggressive as it is finding cheating essentially pushing the boundaries of of the rules and finding any possible way to win not worrying about winning clean or winning true winning with the better performance but you know getting opposition players sent off. Um, And then this is another bit at the end here where it's like he's about to say something interesting and the camera cuts away. And now, how do we score a goal? How do we score a goal? I I wanted to know what what his answer to the question was going to be. One final point on this scene is that there's a tactics board in the background. I zoomed right in on that. What you have there is the height of every player listed above their names and then also which of them are left-footed i thought that was interesting that oh i completely missed that i want to go back and have a look at that now i totally missed that um bardi what do you make of this section i thought i thought this is another another case of Mourinho hiding good instruction in the whole kind of passion football lads balls kind of commentary that he's that he's been doing and he he tells them um if if they've got the ball and Alderweireld makes a challenge, they're going to go down and they're not going to stay on their feet for the sake of the play. They're going to go down and get Alderweireld sent off. And I think when they showed the clip of Winks being sent off, he could easily have stayed on his feet when Zinchenko made that challenge, but he didn't. He decided to go down and take and get the yellow and just be a bit smarter. And this this whole kind of cunt philosophy I think is just being smarter and being more ruthless. And when a decision has to be made on the pitch, 
taking taking a decision which works for the team, even though perhaps ethically it's not the right thing. Like Winks should have stayed on his feet, but he didn't, and that had a massive effect on us winning that match. And, and whilst I agree that um, under Pochettino this had been part of our identity, that we were you know honoured referees way more than we ever had been in my Spurs supporting lifetime, and we were we, we were very much in touch with the dark arts. Um, I, I also think in this instance at half time, when you have got a team with three players and yellow cards, it's absolutely no bad thing to remind them of that. And uh, as Bardi says, we saw it come to fruition. We see immediately after, or not long after this half time team talk, Winks breaks through, Zinchenko gets the red card. We then see Bergvine getting his debut goal. How lovely to see that again, to relive that moment, which is one of my favourite moments of the season. Uh, the fantastic skill involved for the goal, but also the sort of outpouring of happiness from the whole team around his debut goal. I got really pumped up watching that section, I must admit. I was like pretty much off my chair, um, <laughs> loving that scene. And then we see Son scoring the second. And I'd totally forgotten that Ndombele gets the assist for, for that goal. He, he makes a cameo in a match, but he gets the assist. Um, and I, I, I noted as well that as they came off the pitch, Ben Davis had a little laugh with Winks about the turn of pace for the um, Zinchenko second yellow, which I enjoyed very much. Um, Nathan, what did you think of the the sort of footage of the match itself and how it made you feel? I think it's very forgivable that you forgot that Tangi played the assist because, like, there's no... Again, he's like this background cameo character and his name is is not included. Player has made a pass and it's arrived to Sonny. Um, I, whereas before we talked about the um, Olympiacos game and like, and not just them, but elsewhere as well, where they've like they've created a narrative yeah. through the half time where it's like Mourinho said this in the uh, half time, and then this happened in the second half. This I re- this is this is real. This is absolutely Mourinho's come in and he has said, "Look, City are going to try and get out of Vera sent off." Not necessarily true that that's actually the case, but getting them into that mindset of like mm-hmm. City are going to be like this, so you have to be even more. And he said mm-hmm. he's recognised that our way back into this game is to get one of their three players who are on a yellow, a second yellow, and that's exactly that's exactly how it's been delivered. Um, so you know. Uh, fair play to him. Definitely some kudos there, for sure. Uh, there's a very happy dressing room, obviously, at the end. Mourinho is looking absolutely thrilled. Um, Bergwijn is getting a round of applause when he comes into the, the dressing room, which is really nice. And uh, the last words of the episode are him saying, I hope the first of many, um, followed by lots of high fives. So what do we think of episode five, Bardi? I think it was probably my favourite episode so far. I thought there was some real honesty in it. I thought there was some interesting characters, even though I I fired shots at Hitchin. I thought he was an interesting addition to the cast, and I I thought it, I thought it was a good episode. And Ben Ben Davis is fast becoming my preferred kind of uh, commentator on Tottenham Hotspurs and Tottenham Hotspur and what's happening in football in general. How about you, Nathan? Yeah, there was they've they've allowed some sort of snippets of information to slip through the cracks in this episode, which I yeah, really yeah. appreciated. Yeah. I obviously I want to know more about tactical approach. Obviously I want to know more about the recruitment process. They really tease us with the recruitment you know, showing screenshots of the first page of the transfer report and nothing else and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but there's there's some crumbs in there which I will gleefully hoover up off the floor. Definitely. And I, I, I think it was um, a notable episode primarily for the confrontation between Rose and Mourinho, but also 
uniquely interesting, I thought, because of the, the conversation in the office between Levy, Ericsson and Mourinho as well, whether, whether that was set up or otherwise. It was just it was useful to get that kind of insight of what's going on around the transfer. And um, I really enjoyed it. Like, like Barley says, it's definitely up there amongst my favourites. Um, we're getting some snippets, some insights, seeing Bergvine's arrival, the way they look after his family and uh, make sure he's found a nice place to live was was interesting and, and pretty well done, I thought, by the producers. Um, and yeah, it was um, very enlightening, let's put it that way. Not so much as in terms of on-the-pitch stuff, but certainly in terms of off-the-pitch stuff. So that's the end of episode five. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.